right now welcome to another episode of the stampede podcast brought to you by bulls247.com uh this is tito Bonacci alongside dakota wilson and dakota and today is a special day because today was the first day of spring ball we got a great episode for you guys coming up uh dakota i know that you said we actually had an uptick in the amount of uh subscribers and uh our rating on the itunes so I guess we got to tell people to keep rating us five stars and keep getting giving us good reviews, right? Yeah, make sure you guys follow on uh, on SoundCloud and rate us on iTunes after every podcast. Yeah, definitely. We're trying to get a Chick Fil A as a sponsor here, so it'll be the the next major step. But uh, yeah, so first day of spring ball, Dakota out there, uh, second spring ball under Charlie Strong. Uh, obviously, this one without the goat and Quentin Flowers and. Uh, I mean, Dakota, you got to see everything. What, what was the vibe out there, and what were some of the things that you got to really notice? It was really high energy. Uh, the vibe was really good. There's The players were flying around. There was a lot of intensity. You could hear everybody talking. Everybody was really excited to get back into the swing of things, and uh, they were just really excited to finally get out and back into pads. They, it seems like they've been waiting to do it for forever. Yeah, and <laughs> we had a couple position changes. Uh you noted some of them on Twitter, but go ahead and just say those out. And uh, what were some of the things you saw from those guys? Yeah, well, we actually saw Chris Barr uh, working out at cornerback today. Uh, they said that they didn't know if it was going to be a permanent change, but they were doing it for the day at least. Uh, he switched over from wide receiver. And then we saw another position change in Marlon Gonzalez. He hasn't really been able to crack the rotation at the defensive tackle, so the coaches are giving him a try on the offensive line, and he's uh, switching over and wearing number 65 now. All right, and then kind of staying in that same direction, uh, there had been some kind of some questions about uh, the status of defensive tackle Brandon Boyce moving forward with this team. Uh, It looks like you guys got a little bit more clarification on that. So what what kind of – what's going on there? So, yeah, we did get a little bit more clarification on that. It sounds like uh, Boyce is not going to be with the team for the spring. Uh, Coach Strong said that he is technically still with the team, but he's not participating, so it could be an eligibility issue there. So we'll see if he can make it back for the fall. But as of uh, in the spring, I wouldn't expect to see him suiting up. So uh, that's a 50-50 coin toss there. Yeah, um, that that one's a little bit of a puzzling thing, uh, from what I understand. I haven't, I mean, neither Dakota nor I have been really told, uh, really, I guess, any insider details about what's going on there. But I guess the one factual thing that we do know is that he is not currently with the team. Um, that's as far as we're kind of we're willing to go, though. So um, I guess it's just going to be have to kind of be a wait and see approach. And uh, it's interesting, Dakota, that they move. Marlon Gonzalez from defensive tackle to offensive line. Although I do agree, like, you know, Marlon wasn't really making any leaps in terms of the depth chart there in defensive tackle. But the depth at that position now, it, it, we, we kind of said this, it, it went from, you know, guys like John Waller, Rashawn Yates, and Stacey Kirby, who were maybe fixing to see a little bit of the rotation. It, it now seems like those areas are going to be heavily relied upon come fall time. Yeah, especially with uh, with the loss of Marlon Gonzalez going to O line, and then uh, yeah, yeah, Brandon Boyce not being there. Those guys, uh, it looked like you'd be able to redshirt a Waller or maybe a Yates, or maybe throw them in for a cut, like some spot duty to get their feet wet. But it uh, it looks like now with the with how thin it is at the position that they're going to see some early playing time this year. Yeah, and and to be quite honest, I I think that 
this staff isn't really shying away from doing that. I think if anything, the staff is kind of promoting uh, some of these younger players that they recruited themselves because I think any person has to keep this in mind. You know, uh, this is a staff that likes the guys they recruit, and that works at any school. You know, the guys they recruit, they're going to kind of favor over the ones who are, have just kind of been there and they kind of inherited. Uh, while they're still all their guys, I, I think, you know, guys like Waller and Yates who are pretty highly touted and the staff, you know, went all out to get, I, I think they're just going to kind of want to push them to kind of get into the rotation. and They want them to play early so they can get that experience and then they can kind of fully implement their system. So I, I think that's something that the staff will – while not maybe not trying to promote it, I, I think they're not afraid of it. Yeah, I agree with you, Tita. Yeah, so, uh, but, I mean, besides that, Dakota, I mean, I know you got to see the first-team offensive line. Uh, I know you got to see some of the offense and how that looked. So talk a little bit about that. What did you see out of that unit, and uh, what were some of the coaches talking about? Yeah, um, so with the first-team, with the so we – got access to the practice in like the last 15, 20 minutes. So we weren't able to see everything, but from the look, from what I saw, it looked like they had a, a, a rotation at center uh, with Brooks Larkin and then Michael Wiggs had class. So he, uh, I apparently wasn't able to make it a practice. And then I saw a uh, redshirt freshman, Demetrius Harris uh, was getting significant times the, with the twos from what it looked like um, so that he could be maybe a dark horse to see some playing time this year. Yeah, like and, and Demetrius Harris was one of the first uh, targets that uh, I think Strong and this new staff kind of identified when they came in after Willie Taggart left, and they had him on the official visit. So I, I think they're really you know bullish on hopefully trying to get him slowly into the rotation. Uh, obviously, Michael Wiggs is a guy who carries a lot of experience, and I'm sure he'll be battling as well. But uh, when you kind of look at this offensive line, you're replacing a lot of guys and. There's going to be a lot of fresh legs in there, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, a lot of the rotations and the substitutions that this offensive line makes. I, I can tell you, and Dakota can probably obviously agree, but we there's going to be a completely different line most likely by the end of the spring. And even then, I don't think that line will probably be guaranteed the same going into the fall. No, I think um... – after the spring, you're going to see a lot of guys in the depth chart that are actually like I think we saw last year too. Um, walk-ons are guys that you're like, okay, how are they? How are they able to crack the first team? And then uh, that kind of motivates these these guys that are um, that to kind of pick them up. And I think that uh, really like fuels their performance in the fall, and they're able to pick it up and then crack the uh, top two of the depth chart. Right, right, right. So obviously, you got to look at obviously the running backs as well today, and. Uh, a lot of eyes as well on Jordan Cronkite, uh, you know, transfer out of UF. Did you get to see anything out of him? And I know his backup, Duran Bell, was was turning a lot of heads as well. Yeah, we didn't get really really get to see much of Jordan. He was kind of uh, on the sidelines for uh, by the time we got there. But we did get to see quite a few snaps of Elijah Mack and Duran Bell. And Elijah Mack looks uh, look physical. He just looks like a physical specimen right now at the tailback position he's really cut uh in tone and then you have uh Duran Bell who also looks good and he was uh really making an impact out there he we saw him break off a couple of big runs and then uh catch a few balls out of the backfield also and he looked really good yeah I know that this staff was you know they were kind of really impressed with what they saw out of Duran Bell earlier last season unfortunately that ACL injury really held him back and kind of subdued him for the rest of the year but 
Uh, they have big expectations for Duran Bell, and they fully expect him to be the complementary back to Jordan Cronkite this season. And uh, you know, when you when it comes to running back styles, I think it is a good complement for Cronkite, considering Cronkite's more of a power bruiser type back, while Bell seems more of like that speed, you know, one cut type of back. But um, as far as the receiving core, I know you got to talk to guys like Tyree McCants. Uh, did you see anything out of Darnell Salomon in this receiving core that maybe caught your eye? Um, I didn't get to see a lot of Darnell Salomon. I saw uh, Stanley Clairvoux and uh, Randall St. Felix, though, and they both looked like they beefed up quite a bit. Um, honestly, Saint, I think it was St. Felix uh, kind of looked like he manhandled Barr a little bit out there um, when Barr tried to jam him on one of his routes. Uh, but yeah, Raisheen Bronson was out there at rehabbing too, so we we still have to wait to see some of him. Uh, and we didn't get to see a lot of Solomon or McCants today. Yeah, and I mean, I think Raisheen Bronson is close to like landing like the the never ending redshirt senior award for for USF because I feel like this is like Raisheen Bronson's eighth year at USF somehow. But I mean, he's like a t- a team favorite. He's a fan favorite, a really, really great guy. And I think both him and Tyron McCants and even Darnell Salomon, uh, this wide receiver core is going to kind of lean on them this year, considering that there's a lot of younger guys getting involved. But, uh, you know, there's still room for guys like Devontrez Dukes. I think uh, Randall St. Felix is a guy the staff is really high on as well. Um, they thought they got like themselves like a really nice prospect when he committed. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, kind of the, the receiving core and how it develops moving forward. Uh, I guess linebacker-wise, though, uh, defensively, did anything else catch your eye out of this unit from what you saw earlier? Did, did, were there any maybe uh, lineups or, or, or guys who were kind of, kind of caught your eye just while playing? Well, uh, I can tell you that Andre Polk is still in a knee brace, and Coach Strong says that he still has a little uh, a ways to go before he's ready for contact. Uh, he was out there running around on the non-contact drills, but they, we might not see him be ready until the first couple weeks of fall, it sounds like. Um, other than that, we saw Christian Johnson out there. Uh, he looked good. Nico Sautel was out there, and he looked good also. I didn't see them uh, pull up. Khalid McGee uh, at all today to linebacker. So those are pretty, uh, those are really the only ones that caught my eye were Johnson and uh, Sautel. Okay. All right. And then uh, obviously the secondary has an infusion of talent. Uh, Jamon Thomas looks to be probably Jamon Thomas and Mazzy Wilkins uh, kind of look to be this, like one of the bigger senior leaders for this group. Um, a- any new names that we should keep an eye out for there? I mean, obviously that that's there's a lot of names there that can get in the rotation, but anybody uh, that kind of stood out? Uh, yeah, well, when asked, Jamon Thomas said that his uh, backup, Nate Ferguson, has been uh, playing really well in practice and he was flying around on the ball today. Um, we Again, we didn't get to see a whole lot of passing plays from the secondary today, so uh, it was mainly they were mainly running uh, some short-yarded situation stuff, so we didn't get to see a whole lot of the secondary in action. Okay, and then uh, obviously I think a lot of people are focused on the QB battle, but uh, did the coaches make any comment about that? Did they make, make any mention of, of what they've seen out of both QBs? I mean, this is the first time in three years that USF won't be going under center with Quentin Flowers. 
Yeah, they said it's going to be a battle, and it, uh, the battle is going to be all, all through spring and possibly up into the fall. And they like Coach Strong uh, commented how he liked both of the quarterbacks' confidence that, uh, and he feels that they have the confidence that they can lead. Either one of them can lead the team, and they have confidence in each other also. And it's just it's a really fun battle for them, and they're just giving it their all to see who who uh, who can win it out. Yeah, this is going to be exciting because obviously, uh, I mean, USF hasn't had this issue for the past three years, while. Exciting yet frightening, but at the same time, uh, it, it's it's new blood, it, and it's a system where uh, you figure that one of these guys can actually flourish. And uh, obviously, Flowers had his, uh, I guess, his inefficiencies with throwing the ball. But I mean, it's it's well documented that Kane has a really strong arm, uh, comes from a really really good quarterback background, and uh, Chris Aladakun also seems like he's a guy who's a competitor, uh, great with his feet. Uh, has a pretty strong arm as well. So uh, I, th- I think this QB battle is going to be a really, really close one to watch, obviously. Uh, like you just mentioned, the coaches uh, said it could even go into the fall. And them saying that uh, kind of gives me a little bit of an inkling or at least an itching to know if maybe they're waiting on I like Octavius battle. You know, uh, coaches, when they go into the spring – they, they like to say that, oh, well, you know, we, we won't really come to a decision and wait to the fall. But, you know, they're not going to have all their QBs on roster until Battle shows up. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe they, they're waiting to see what Battle could provide. But I think the safe money bet is that it's going to be either a lot of Coon or Keen still. Yeah, I'd say the same. I don't uh, – I think Battle's definitely going to – ramp up the competition as well as Jordan McLeod, who is at practice today, actually spectating and uh, looking on. But uh, I think that those two guys uh, throwing them into the mix and it's really going to light maybe a spark under Oladukin and uh, Brett Keen. Right. Right. So uh, I think it was overall, I think it was just a a little snapshot of what spring football is going to look like. Obviously you're going to get more information as the week goes on uh, and, and and more spring practices, but uh, nonetheless, a good day. Uh, Overall theme, I guess, that maybe you could take from today's first practice? Did, you, did anything kind of just stand out to you in terms of a theme? I would say intensity. Everybody was really – there was a lot of yelling, a lot of chirping back and forth, a lot of trash talking between players. Uh, coaches were really fired up uh, at the end. You could hear uh, Coach Jean-Marie even say, Ten and two, we have 14 seniors on this defense. Uh, Ten and two isn't good enough. You guys have to want better, and you guys are going to do better this year. I mean, that's a great message. I mean, obviously, 10-2 uh, and two was a good year last year, but they came short of the goal that they expected, which is a conference championship. So uh, it'll be definitely be interesting to see uh, how this spring transgresses. Uh, in other news, I guess on the recruiting front, uh, USF landing a commitment today, and it seems like uh, you've already kind of got an update with him, and it should be coming out soon, Dakota. Yeah, uh, TJ Robinson, a safety out of Riverview, Florida. Um, he's a really good athlete, and I actually spoke to TJ not too long ago, and I'll, yeah, I'll have a write-up um, on Bulls 24-7 about his commitment tonight. Uh, he's really excited to be a uh, part of this class, and he really likes uh, what Coach Strong and staff are building in Tampa. Yeah, I mean, all we have to work with right now is his highlight tape, but, I mean, he seems like a really impressive athlete, uh, a guy that, you know, when you look at his first tape, his first two highlights are on the offensive side of the ball, but from that point on, you can kind of tell that he's a defensive-minded prospect, uh, loves to tackle, loves to be physical, uh, roams around the center of the field. And, I, I mean, look, not to keep drawing back to Louisville, but when Charlie Strong ran his defense at Louisville, he had a lot of those types of athletes. 
long-armed guys who can cover a lot of ground, guys who can are fast and can make plays in the center of the field in the defense. He is a Charlie Strong type of safety, and he seems like an exciting prospect that, you know, in a couple years down the line, if USF can get him in the fold, he can turn into a real gem. Uh, I mean, he's physical. He likes to hit. Uh, he, you can tell he reads the QB's eyes pretty well. Uh, I, I think long-term, I think he's more of a safety, maybe a nickel type of guy than he is a corner. But, I mean, he seems like a really interesting prospect. So definitely a good land on USF's part. Uh, as far as this recruiting class, though, goes, I know you guys probably want an update as some of the names and what's going on. But uh, for right now, I guess the best advice, Dakota, would be to not get attached to anybody right now, right? Yeah, we're still really early in the process. And if you followed recruiting for any longer than the last few months, uh, you know that uh, recruits come and go. They change their mind, especially it's still 10 months until – or 11 months, sorry, until next National Signing Day. Uh, these kids have a lot more offers coming their way and a lot more people trying to change their minds. So I wouldn't get too attached to anybody in the class. Right. I, I mean, for right now, I think USF has three commitments. They lost one in uh, the defensive back, and I, I – Jeez, his name is escape. Andrew Plummer. You no, know, Andrew Plummer, but uh, I mean, he was a nice prospect, but he's a guy that obviously committed early and then got some Power Five offers and wanted to reconsider. Uh, and I would take that same advice with anyone who's committed to USF. Right. Uh, the the good signings is that USF is getting out ahead of the ball. They're identifying these kids, identifying talented prospects, and getting them in the class and to sign. It, it's good publicity. Uh, however, at the end of the day, until they sign the paper, it doesn't really mean much. So uh, guys like the Darius Henry is an impressive prospect. Uh, this guy TJ Robinson is an impressive prospect. Kamari Morales an impressive prospect. But uh, it's a long way until even December when they can sign early, and that's even if they want to. So, uh, But nonetheless, some good guys to have early in the class. Uh, I, I think TJ is another indication of the type of guy that Charlie Strong wants on this defense. And uh, I mean, him and Ladarius Henry would be some impressive athletes to have in the secondary. That's one, no question about it. Uh, and now, kind of moving on to uh, some old news, I guess. Uh, the USF football team kind of released its schedule uh, not too long ago. And uh, Dakota, I think the one thing that kind of stands out to us about this schedule is there isn't a serious stretch of games both home or away until the end of the season that really stands out. Yeah, um, at the end there, uh, the the little thing that stood out to I think we both talked about it was the fact that they have uh, I think it's three games in around what nineteen days or or something like that, and uh, the fact that they have two late games in very cold places. They play Cincinnati on November tenth at Cincinnati, and then they play Temple uh, the next week at Temple. So I think those are some things to watch for in the schedule. Well, I know that one thing USF fans are definitely happy about is that there's no Thursday game. God forbid. You know, there's any Thursday games for USF. You know, we can't can't have that type of ESPN exposure. But I mean, it, I think the scheduling though should help. I mean, it only seems like Fridays and Saturdays are the main options. There's only two Friday games, one being at Tulsa, and that's an away game. So I, I think attendance wise, it's not really going to affect USF. And the the final Friday game is uh, the Warren I four against UCF, which typically always draws a great crowd, so I don't think that's a major concern. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the end of the season to me kind of stands out. Uh, three games in 13 days with 
at Cincinnati on November 10th, at Temple on November 17th, and then you finish, like I said, with UCF at home uh, on Friday, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, but if you wanted to compare this schedule to anything, I feel like this schedule is pretty similar to the 2016 schedule or the 2015 schedule where uh, you know you start off pretty easy, Elon at home. I mean, that I don't even have to say it, but that should be an easy win for USF. Uh, and then you you turn up a notch and you get Georgia Tech at home. And, you know, obviously that seems like it's going to be a pretty competitive game, Dakota. But I think in terms of emotion and motivation and morale, if USF can come out with a W that game and head to Illinois, that would have this team feeling pretty good. Yeah, and especially notching that uh, first Power 5 win of the season uh, against a team like Georgia Tech, who runs that tricky triple option offense. Uh, and Paul Johnson usually has those guys uh, as a pretty tough team to beat. So I think that'd be a great uh, early season morale boost for USF. Right, and uh, Georgia Tech with uh, Taquan Marshall, the quarterback, he stepped in last year, and he's been uh, by and far one of their best players. He led the team in rushing last season with – 1,146 yards, 17 touchdowns. He was averaging 100 yards a game. Uh, and then he also had 927 passing yards and 10 touchdowns. And, I, I mean, it's no secret. You know, the way Georgia Tech wants to beat you is they want to play time of possession. They want to get up by two, three scores maybe, and then they just want to kill you with the slow, monotonous, yet methodical drives. Uh, this is where USF's defense is going to have to be efficient in not only getting – Georgia Tech's offense off the field, but then the flip side of that is getting rest and being able to have USF's offense take care and handle business on the other side of the field. So uh, I think that's going to be uh, a real early big test for USF. Uh, if they can come out with a W in that game, like you said, huge morale builder. Uh, then you go at Illinois. Um, Illinois, for just whatever reason, just continues to kind of bottom dwell over there in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, Lovey Smith has had a really hard time kind of turning it around. Uh, this is year three. And uh, I mean, most people and most programs expect the full turnaround in year three. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how USF kind of responds to being on the road that early. Yeah, um, I don't think that game should pose much of a problem for USF. It's early September it's in Chicago. It shouldn't be too cold. The game's at Soldier Field. Um, so I think the Bulls should be able to handle business up there, um, just talent-wise, because, yeah, they absolutely uh, pretty much manhandled Illinois last year in Tampa. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, it, it's also to say something that it, it'll be good for USF to kind of get out of the state for that time because it'll be a real indication of just how mentally tough this USF team is when they play in a road environment. Uh, obviously, I mean, last year, like you said, I mean, they put an absolute beat down on you on, on Illinois, but, uh, last year, the Illinois fighting Irish, I mean, Illinois fighting Illini, they had 12th ranked big 10 class. Uh, they were ranked 55th in the country. They got some pretty good players. Uh, they even got a dual threat quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I mean, this is a big year for Lovey Smith. A lot of questions. A lot of people looking for answers, and if there's going to be any progression with this team, um, I think most people would be looking for them to be fighting to be bowl eligible. So that'll be another game that's kind of interesting to watch. Uh, ECU, on the other hand, that game's at home. Uh, I, I'll never tell you that I'm scared of ECU, 
Uh, I will tell you that I'm scared of their offense because they've always been a team that's very good at putting up points. So, uh, but however, getting that game at home, I think, is a big benefit. Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty good because uh, ECU, no matter how good their team is, they pretty mu- they uh, always fill the stadium up there in Greenville, and it, that environment is uh, always a pretty good uh, hostile one for the opposing team. Right, and uh, they actually had a record 10 early enrollees to this team, so it'll be interesting to see how well they do early in the year, and that'll probably be a better indication of what their real talent level is. Uh, but 92nd ranked recruiting class, uh, I mean, last year was another epic failure for ECU, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how USF, if they can you know, make that more of a beatdown than kind of a sneak by win. I mean, that was only USF. That was the single sixty burger that USF put up last season. I mean, and that was that was a just a generally awful game to watch. At least if you're an ECU fan. Uh, then the Bulls go out to Massachusetts and they play at UMass. Uh, this is interesting because this game got canceled last season. Uh, UMass, on the other hand, I mean, this is probably going to be one of their bigger games of the year. Uh, I, I can't say I, I expect this to be a competitive game. Uh, but this will be a game that UMass will probably treat like a Super Bowl. Yeah, we're gonna get UMass's best shot. Um, I don't expect. I don't think anybody really expects them to be too much this year. But um, like you said, it's gonna be their Super Bowl, so they're gonna come out trying to fire on all cylinders and take advantage early in the game. Yeah, last season they finished four and eight. Uh, they, I mean, they went on like a, something of like a five-game losing streak before they got their first win. But hey, let's make a mention that they did take Tennessee to the wire. Okay, UMass took Tennessee to the wire, and that's more of an indication of Butch Jones, but that's not neither here nor there. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's a game where probably USF will probably want to get on them early and not fall asleep at the wheel. Uh, then after that, another road game. It's a Friday night uh, against Tulsa, so it's probably a quick turnaround. Uh, that one is the the real start of conference play. So that's the real uh, beginning of when USF kind of has to start kicking it into gear for conference play. Uh, I mean, last year that Tulsa game was it was a nightmare to watch. USF snuck it out, but uh, I, I would fully expect going at, up to Tulsa, that should probably be uh, a bit of a difficult game. Yeah, that's going to be one of their tougher games, I feel like, late in the season. Um, I'm pretty – I think Philip Montgomery is their coach up there, and uh, pretty sure he's uh, usually got a pretty good offense at Tulsa. So we'll see how the Bulls can do over there. Yeah, they had the tenth ranked recruiting class in the conference. Uh, they finished ranked ninety seventh in the national ranking. Uh, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if maybe our our team maybe learns from the last game they had against Tulsa to kind of not fall asleep offensively, or maybe the coaches would learn, but. Uh, it'll be interesting to maybe note uh, where the offense is by then because that's basically the half point of the season. And hopefully by then, the USF's offense is in a much better place than where it was last season. Uh, then after that, you go back home for homecoming. You get UConn. Uh, I, I, I mean, UConn always gives us a tough game. It's like a universal thing. Uh, especially when they come here for whatever reason, they like to give us a tougher game. But um, Randy Edsel back there, it's year two for for them. And it seems like uh, this should be a better year for UConn. I mean, it'll be surprising. There's no chance that they're ever going to have more talent than USF, but 
Uh, Randy Etzel knows how to get teams up for games, and he knows how to coach well. So I think that's going to be a tough game for USF as well, although I would give them the edge. Yeah, I'd give the Bulls the edge too, but Randy Edsel, I think, has beat USF uh, a couple times, so um, still should be an interesting game. Then you follow that up with uh, going to Houston October 27th. Uh, this is a personal game for USF. I mean, uh, to be quite honest, the the way everything went down with that game and it kind of put a sour taste in the team's mouth, it it was, I mean, just a, a poor performance on both sides of the ball, to be quite frank. Defense, I mean, they played well, but they left some points off the board. I think in the first drive of that game, uh, someone dropped a possible pick six. So uh, I think that's a game that, you know, knowing Charlie Strong, knowing this team, they're probably going to serve that game and try to make it a personal thing. Uh, Ed Oliver's still there, so that's concerning. Uh, But I I think that's a game where uh, it's going to be a coin toss to see who wins. Yeah, Coach Strong should have the guys fired up for that game, uh, but I don't think he really needs to do much to get them fired up after that loss last year. That one was a heartbreaker. Yeah, and uh, Houston, uh, that environment will be interesting to see. Uh, They kind of have had some similar attendance struggles, uh, and they have an on-campus stadium, but uh, knowing that one of the premier uh, AAC East teams is coming into town, uh, they'll probably have a packed house for that, so that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, so then the Bulls come back home after that. Uh, they go uh, play against Tulane in the salute to service game. And it'll be interesting because from what I understand, uh, the Bulls are, do, aren't aren't going to be wearing the last salute to service jerseys that they had in 2016. So, and, I mean, this is going to be an all-new jersey. It's Adidas. So I, I'm, I'm very excited to see what Adidas comes up with for the salute to service game and just the new jerseys in general. Uh, but that should be an easy game. Uh Tulane generally still kind of uh, stuck in neutral with Willie Fritz at, as, as head coach. And I just don't really think that uh, that's a game that I would be worried about for, for USF. Yeah, they gave the Bulls a little bit of a hard time towards the end of the game uh, last year. Uh, but I don't think uh, I don't think the Bulls should be too worried about it either. But I'm also excited about the new uniforms with Adidas. I'm really curious when they're going to uh, drop the first looks at those. I would fully expect those probably to come out in the summer. I think the jersey reveal will probably be in the summer, uh, but, I mean, I can't pinpoint exactly. I know that the reason they'd probably want to do it in the summer is so that fans can go ahead and buy jerseys uh, before the season starts. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, that'll be interesting to see what they can kind of come up with for Salute to Service. I know they probably have got uh, some great ideas. And, And, Dakota, I don't know if you and I have really talked about it, but, I mean, quite frankly, I'm pretty excited about the Adidas jerseys. I think they have... Some, some pretty impressive brands and designs that they've done with some schools, particularly Miami's. I think they've really killed it with Miami's jerseys. Yeah, I think Adidas is uh, one of the more up-and-coming, like, not, it's an old brand, obviously, but it's really hot right now. It's really, like, trendy, too. I think that they do a really good job with college uniforms, and I'm really curious to see what how uh, creative they get and what they can come up with uh, for USF, because Under Armour was pretty good to the Bulls, so I'm really curious to see if uh, Adidas can kind of match the creativity that they were able to put up. Yeah, so just to, just to rattle off some schools that have Adidas, it's Nebraska, it's Louisville, it's Mississippi State, it's UCLA, and obviously, like I mentioned, Miami has those jerseys as well. So uh, those are some pretty name-brand universities. They've got some pretty cool jerseys designed. So 
I mean, with USFs, I'm sure they can get pretty creative as well. Uh, so then the final stretch of the season, like we mentioned, at Cincinnati, at Temple, and then at home against UCF. Uh, <clears throat> Cincinnati, uh, it seemed like they had a pretty difficult year. Uh, the way they ended the season was probably some of the most miserable way to actually end the season. Uh, they were an extra point away from being bowl eligible. And then, or no, so sorry, so they were down a touchdown. They were an extra point away from being bowl eligible. They score the touchdown. Then a player gets a taunting penalty, and then they miss the extra point. And I don't know who went on to win that game, but it was pretty sad. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I, I think Coach Fickle over there, he had the number one recruiting class in the AAC this year. Uh, pretty impressive considering their finish. Uh, and I think they're a team to watch out for in general. I, I know that it may be a little bit premonitious and early to kind of circle Cincinnati as uh, a team to watch out for in the AAC, but I think in, in Fickle's second year, I think he can actually possibly make some noise with that group. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so far, since since he's been there, he's been able to bring in a ton of talent. I think he landed something like 14 of the best 15 players in Ohio or something like that this year uh, in his recruiting class. But yeah, I think uh, Coach Fickle is going to turn out really well at Miami. Or not Miami, Cincinnati, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he wants to get to Miami, but <laughs> he, he, he will do good things at Cincinnati. And uh, I think, like I said, uh, that'll likely be a night game. Uh, and with how late it is in the season, if both those teams are doing really good, that game could probably have heavy implications and uh, to the conference standings and where USF is. So uh, that's definitely a game that's going to be pretty important uh, as long as both teams are doing well. Uh, then after that, it goes to Temple. Uh, Temple last year, somewhat of a, a down year coming off of the conference championship. Uh, I know their coach, and they, they kind of had some struggles at the quarterback position. They rotated three different quarterbacks. But uh, I think going up to Philly, that that game is never easy, um, especially late in the, that season because you're probably going to have a, some injuries by then, uh, and, and you're probably going to be tired because there's only a week in between from that game uh, from Cincinnati. So I think that's going to be a tough game, although I, I still give USF the lean in just a note in terms of overall talent. Yeah, uh, so I think we can both say that USF should win that game, uh, barring anything absolutely crazy from Temple. Uh, and then finally, the war on I-4, probably the team that is pegged to win the conference again, which is UCF. Uh, look, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have to sugarcoat it. They're, they seem like conference favorites at this point. Uh, however, I would tell you that, you know, getting that game at home this year, uh, UCF losing some key players on the defensive side of the football. They lose the AAC defensive player of the year in Shaquem Griffin. Uh, they lose their, their starting cornerback, Mike Hughes. Uh, they lose a couple guys on the defensive line as well. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how USF kind of attacks that defense. Um, and, and this game, like, a, like last year, could very well decide who goes and represents the East in the conference championship for the AAC. So uh, getting this game at home is big. Uh, I, I think Charlie obviously needs to understand, that, you know, losing this game last year was, I mean, it was disappointing, but they fought hard and I, I, I didn't expect them to be that close of a game, if anything. But now with, with a, a full year in, um, you know, them losing a lot of guys in the defensive line, 
we're going to be expecting this team to compete and win that game. So uh, I, I don't know how you feel about it, Dakota, but I think USF, on in terms of talent, is right there with UCF. Yeah, I yeah, agree. I, and I think a big part of it, obviously, is what we get out of the quarterback position. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we won't be able to tell you who will be quarterback, being playing quarterback by then. But I can tell you that for them, it's most likely going to be Mackenzie Milton. Uh, Milton had a really good game against USF. Uh, he was pretty effective. I think he had a 75% completion rate. He did throw an interception at one point that made it seem like there was maybe a a, a big a quick head turner and maybe USF could finally maybe uh, turn things around and go to the conference championship. But uh, look, the USF is not happy about losing that game. Uh, they still overall have the lead in the series, but uh, USF would will no question be up for that game. And I I think having that game at home, uh, you know, having the players amped up and upset about last year. It'll be really interesting to see how that game goes, and it's going to be prime time again. That's one thousand percent going to be an ESPN, uh, you know, national broadcast game. So uh, it, it put up the best numbers last year. It was one of the most exciting games in college football last season. I believe it won uh, the college football Reddit uh, Game of the Year award, which may, might not mean much, but a, a lot of people actually watched that game and. I think that exposure for not only just USF but for the conference and the programs in it, uh, it does a lot of benefit, uh, beneficial things. So uh, this is going to be a big game for USF, no question about it, as always. Yeah, they yeah, should they throw, should this, throw game this game on game ABC. Uh, last, uh, last year, a ton of outlets picked it as the best game of the year. So it's, it, I don't think it's going to disappoint this year either. It's pretty much uh, always a good game. Yeah. So, uh, I mean – it's way too early to put a number on it, Dakota, but I think the consensus thing you and I can kind of agree on is that this schedule goes from very easy to uh, a pretty, I don't want to say pretty difficult, but a difficult stretch late in the season. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see. Uh, obviously, I think that helps a team like this, especially one that uh, is going to have a new quarterback. It'll help this new quarterback kind of uh, progress and understand the offense and kind of get his bearings before he really starts to face the real teeth of the conference and uh, the upper echelon teams in the conference. So uh, I think facing those teams later on uh, can, and facing these weaker teams early on can kind of help build his confidence. But uh, that's basically the schedule review. Um, anything else you kind of want to add on, Dakota? Uh, no, uh, not that I can think of. All right, guys. Well, uh, this has been another good episode of the Stampede Podcast. Uh, glad you guys can listen. Uh, keep giving us great ratings on iTunes and SoundCloud. We really appreciate it. Uh, definitely be on the lookout for more podcast episodes to come. I know Dakota is putting up a bunch of great content there on Bulls247.com. And appreciate you guys listening.